0: Uh, Rebecca McKinnon is a former Shorenstein fellow who came to us uh, from uh, CNN. She was a terrifically uh, serious and effective correspondent, bureau chief in China and so forth, and she might even still be at CNN, I think, perhaps, if they hadn't told her to make her reporting dumber. I mean, I think that was the... (laughs) Expertise was getting in the way. We'll try to try to do something about that, Rebecca. When Rebecca was here, uh, she was clearly casting for something that would really engage her mind and imagination, and she found it in co-founding Global Voices, which was a visionary, uh, website that basically put together people who were serious about the world in countries all over the world and made them into a community. It's something that has been uh, an enormous success and grown in power, influence, and and usefulness over over time. She is now, uh, let me see how many titles you have here, Visiting Fellow at the uh, Princeton Center for Information Technology, um, at policy and well she's really one of the deep thinkers of our, of our time in this kind of area but she comes from not only a journalistic background of her own but my wife and I wrote a book about the Bingham family some years back and it included uh, Rebecca's grandfather who was also a terrific journalist himself so Rebecca.
1: Thanks very much. Just to clarify because I know the people who are giving me my current fellowship would appreciate this. I'm currently a a fellow at the New America Foundation in Washington, D.C. I'm no longer at Princeton, just wanted to clarify. Sorry. They they appreciate being named. But uh, I'm here to have what I think will be a very stimulating conversation with Abdurrahim Fukara, who is the Washington, D.C. bureau chief for Al Jazeera. Um, And before I launch into my, my first questions for Mr. Fukara. I just want to kind of set the scene um, with my own experience kind of directly with Al Jazeera and interacting with Al Jazeera when I was on the ground as a reporter uh, and, and seeing how people were reacting to, to Al Jazeera vis-a-vis my own reporting for CNN. And actually 10 years ago this week I was in Peshawar, Pakistan and, northwestern Pakistan, uh, reporting for CNN in, in the wake of 9-11, and, and uh, the United States had just uh, uh, recently started bombing in Afghanistan. And uh, a, a week or so 10 years ago from today, um, Walter Isaacson, who was running CNN at the time, wrote a memo to, to producers, and it leaked almost immediately to the press. Uh, in which he said it was perverse to focus too much on the casualties uh, and hardships of people in Afghanistan um, in in the wake of what had happened in New York. And, of course, this got into the Pakistani press and and into the press uh, around the Islamic world, and people were not very impressed by that. And it, it of course, made it much more difficult to operate as a CNN correspondent in that region. But it, it also was, I think, part of the dynamic that was happening in the Muslim world at that time where audiences were turning to Al Jazeera, viewing it as the credible source. And, and these types of incidents with CNN and, and others were kind of shifting the credibility of global media in the Muslim world away from things like CNN and, and towards Al Jazeera. And, I just experienced that on the ground in a, in a very personal way, so I, I, I thought I would kind of put that in that context and and we will of course return, I think to Afghanistan and, and Iraq later in our conversation. but I, I do want to start um, with the Arab Spring, and one of the interesting things that uh, Mr. Kanfar, who was recently until very recently running Al Jazeera, uh, said was that that Al Jazeera has played the role of really liberating the Arab mind, is, is one thing he said at one point, and created the idea that when you have a right, you should fight for, for it, and that, that this was a role that Al Jazeera played in, in kind of pointing out injustices and hardship uh, around the Arab world, and, and kind of politicizing people in many ways. And, What's, what's your own experience with the, the role that Al Jazeera played in the Arab Spring even happening?
2: I mean, the, the way I look at it is that this was a, a, an investment that started to be made about 15, 16 years ago when uh, Al Jazeera was created. And the investment was uh, in a political and media environment across the region that was obviously dominated by governments. We're talking about uh, uh, censorship and uh, uh, information control, and that's basically what was prevalent at that time. Uh, Each government in the region controlled the television and the radio uh, airwaves uh, uh, in in that country, and therefore what people in each individual Arab country uh, saw They saw the activities of the the president or the king, for example. They didn't see uh, uh, if there was an opposition. That opposition never had a face. People didn't see it. So the first investment that al-Jazeera made uh, was obviously to give that opposition in uh, various instances a face so that people within uh, each individual country began to know that there was a different narrative from the narrative that they were hearing from uh, their own government. I, I, I would say that in particular what epitomized uh, this investment was one show uh, called Littijah on, al-Mu'akis on the uh, Arabic channel or Crossfire. And the way I usually like to identify uh, Crossfire is if you can think back to when Crossfire on CNN was really feisty, uh, and marry that together with uh, Jerry Springer, and <laughs> you, you begin to get an approximation of what, what litige muakis was. And uh, it, it was a, a simple and, and clever uh, gimmick, if you will. You invite two people who represent uh, two different ends of the spectrum on any given issue. It could be political. It could be social, religious. Uh, what have you, and you let them uh, debate it and you let them shout at each other and uh, sometimes throw things at, at each other. And people found that, uh, apart from being liberating uh, uh, as, as a program, they, they – it's, it's a taste of something new that they had not experienced uh, before. And if you fast forward to what happened in, in Tunisia, I mean, we heard before that revolutions are unpredictable. And I think uh, for all the things that, you know, Wadah or other people from Al-Jazeera have been saying uh, about the role that Al-Jazeera played in those things, we did not see Tunisia coming. Nobody did. Um, Things started in Tunisia, and we covered them uh, as unrest in Tunisia, reminiscent of uh, uh, previous unrest in Tunisia. Nobody thought that it was actually going to culminate into the toppling of the, the president. But once Tunisia happened, again, based on the strength of historical precedent, we knew that if it happened in Tunisia, the next likeliest candidate would be Egypt. And if you're Arab, you know that if, if it happens in Egypt, it's going to happen everywhere else in, in, in the Arab world. The, the second, in terms of Uh, investment, the second biggest investment that Al-Jazeera had made was actually in the infrastructure of Al-Jazeera in Egypt, Uh, Egypt being the most pivotal Arab country. uh, All eyes have always been on Egypt in the region for all sorts of different reasons. And therefore that led Al-Jazeera to heavily invest in the infrastructure of Al-Jazeera so that when things began to shake uh, in Egypt, despite all efforts by the Mubarak governments to shut down Al Jazeera, to fiddle with its satellite frequencies and, and, and uh, 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 prevent it from getting the picture to Egyptians and to Arabs outside of Egypt, Al Jazeera was well equipped to actually circumvent that. So there were some massive I- uh, 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 um, and decisive investments that, that were made. That was the second one of them. The third one Uh, that was made was the marriage with social media. A lot of money even before Tunisia uh, had happened. A lot of money had been uh, invested in uh, how to deal with the issue of uh, social media. A special department had already been in place so that when the pictures started coming in uh, from Tunisia and then from uh, Egypt and later on from Libya and other parts of uh, the Arab world, uh, Al Jazeera was ready to deal with
3: that.
1: I mean, speaking of social media, it's, it's been my observation that Al Jazeera has been much more comfortable in its relationship with social media than most American news organizations have, have been, who have been much more kind of uncomfortable uh, with, you know, how, how to deal with citizen media. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why did, has Al Jazeera just been more quick to embrace? the use of social media, a more symbiotic relationship between journalists and people contributing uh, reports from the street uh, than, than, say, some, some of the Western broadcasters and, and newspapers?
2: I mean, as a lot of people know, Al Jazeera had by that time had a long history of confrontation and conflict with Arab governments. Uh, it had been hassled in almost every Arab country from the Gulf to the Atlantic. And when you have a a massive story such as uh, Egypt, um, which is really the bread and butter of your your coverage, but at the same time there are serious constraints and impediments by the government of uh, Egypt on how you cover it, uh, if they let you cover it at all, uh, obviously social media becomes a, a, a major uh, 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 second option uh, to you. We've always known that social media, you relying on pictures, for example, coming to you from inside a country like Syria, we've always known that that, that is a a process fraught with editorial danger. Because you get these pictures, you don't know who is actually sending the pictures. You don't know how representative, how truly representative the pictures are of what's actually going on inside a, a country like, like Syria. But you don't have a choice. Um, so the, the decision is, or was at least in the case of Syria initially, the, the, the decision was quite, it was quite an adventure, if you will. Um, But not covering uh, Syria would have been extremely detrimental to the coverage of the region as as a whole. So Al Jazeera probably has had much more of an incentive than CNN or MSNBC or Fox or BBC even uh, in terms of uh, resorting to uh, uh, social media. But as I said at the outset, the infrastructure was already there uh, even before Tunisia happened and that was that, that was a, another uh, a big incentive to rely on social media uh, uh, on the part of Al Jazeera more than uh, other uh, networks did. If I may just make one uh, uh, qualitative uh, uh, difference uh, in terms of what social media have done and what al Jazeera uh, has done i mean to me when Things started happening in in Tunisia, and they culminated in in Ben Ali fleeing the country. A lot of people started calling it the Facebook Revolution, Twitter Revolution, what have you. And fine, I mean, if you if you want to call it that, that I, I I don't have a big issue with it, except that the people who really made that revolution happen, they made it happen over 30 years. I mean, there were strikes, labor strikes, there were people who were detained, there were people who were tortured, there were people who were killed. Uh, as you know, Ben Ali had touted Tunisia uh, in the same way that the Chinese have been, have been doing as an economic success. The only difference, obviously, is that the Chinese, the Communist Party in China, did offer the Chinese a high standard of living. Turned out that Ben Ali uh, uh, who was going around saying that the standard of living in Tunisia approximated the standard of living in Belgium turned out that to be a complete lie, so you know all those things percolated into the, the revolution. What social media did uh, in the case of especially Tunisia and Egypt was if you will to provide the dots for the revolution, uh, people used those uh, media to organize and to give us. Uh, people outside of Tunisia and outside of Egypt an idea of what actually was going on on the streets of Sidi Bouzid or in Maidan Tahrir in in the case of uh, uh, Egypt. What Al Jazeera did was to actually help connect those dots because if you take the coverage of Tahrir Square, um, people had a platform in Tahrir Square to actually discuss the mechanics of the revolution. They had a platform to discuss with each other where they were going uh, with those dots, where they were going with the protests, what they hoped to uh, achieve. Uh, they, through the use of uh, Al Jazeera, they mobilized in a way to outmaneuver the, the Mubarak uh, 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 regime. And I think that was the, that was the, the, the qualitative difference. Did Al Jazeera create the, the, the revolution in Egypt? Or I, I, I think that's, that's nonsense. It, 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 it didn't. We at Al Jazeera would like to think that uh, it, it, it did. What, but in, in, in my eyes, the, the prime role that Al Jazeera uh, did was to actually enable uh, people inside Egypt and Tunisia and elsewhere to talk to uh, each other and strategize.
1: Now there's been a lot of speculation over why Mr. Kanfar recently uh, left Al Al Jazeera and there's also been discussion about um, Al Jazeera's overarching sort of editorial and geopolitical agendas uh, given its ownership um, by the the royal family of Qatar and there's been some some criticism uh, both uh, by activists in the region and, and others about Different emphases and coverage of, of different countries. So, so, for instance, Bahrain, uh, Al Jazeera has been criticized for going lightly on the government and going lightly on the human rights abuses uh, in the upri- against people involved with the uprisings there, and has also. It's also been pointed out that Al Jazeera has been extremely pro Libyan rebels and was sort of cheerleading for the rebels and you know a, a lot of. Media around the world, I guess, ha- has been doing so, but but these have just been um, cited as ex- examples of how uh, Al Jazeera's coverage, at least to some extent, has mirrored a little bit um, the geopolitical um, preferences, let's say, um, or a lot allegiances of, uh, of of the royal family in Qatar. And wh- what's your response to that?
2: Well. I mean what I usually say to that is that uh, just as a as a reminder, the Qataris they pump hundreds of, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into the the network, uh, and by the way, the network is has become an, an empire. It's, it certainly became an empire under wadah. Uh, you have the Arabic channel, you have the English channel, you have the documentary channel, uh, you have the Mubashir channel, which is a a a, 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 a an Arab sea-span of, of sorts. It, this, is, this is a major media uh, empire. And the Qataris, when they pump all that money into it, clearly they want to get something out of it. This is not a charity. And as you know, no media, uh, uh, no news outlet is, is a charity. You fund it because you want to get something out of it. What do they get out of it? An awful lot. This is a tiny uh, country. Uh, that sits right next door to some very powerful players. Saudi Arabia is one of them, for example. Uh, and yet, in the space of uh, 15 years, it has become a major regional player, thanks in no uh, small measure to uh, Al Jazeera. So let's, let's just get that uh, uh, established. Waddaah, other than what he's actually stated in public, Uh, I don't know if he has, if he had any other reasons uh, for for, uh, stepping down. Uh, There were all sorts of uh, uh, reports that, you know, the WikiLeaks revelations showed that the Americans had lent on him to change coverage and so on. If you want to believe that, you believe it. Um, I would just say that as a matter of principle If you're any news outlet with the kind of uh, clout that Al Jazeera has in that part of the world and with the kind of strategic interests that the United States has in that part of the world, it is almost inconceivable that you would not have a a constant conversation with Al Jazeera if if you're the the, the U.S. government. And that certainly has been uh, the case. I was actually in Doha. uh, This was two years ago. Um, and I, I was absolutely flabbergasted when Hillary Clinton showed up for a meeting with the editorial board of uh, uh, Al Jazeera, that included. And I sat in on, on, on that meeting, and, you know, concerns were, were raised by uh, uh, Hillary Clinton and, and, and her team. So all, all I'm saying is that it, if you are in that position, it is almost inconceivable that you would not come under uh, a certain amount of pressure to go in that direction or to go in, in, in that direction. Did Wadah go in the direction that the Americans wanted him to, to, uh, to go? He, he, sa- he, says, he says no. We'll never know, I guess, the, 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 the truth of that, but I, I find it totally normal for a government such as the, the government of the United States to want to have that kind of uh, conversation with uh, and uh, uh, Al-Jazeera. Um, Bahrain, you know, you could, you could look at Al-Jazeera as an adjunct of the Qatari government, but you could also look at it as uh, a news outlet that has caused them as a government a lot of headaches. I mean, if you look at the number of governments in the region uh, that have at one point or another had problems with the Qatari government, even going as far as severing diplomatic relations because of uh, Al Jazeera, you begin to get you know, an idea of how, much problem, how many problems Al Jazeera actually dragged the Qatari government into. If you look at the complicated relationship that they've had with the U.S. government, Especially under George Bush, uh, and 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 you think why would they uh, um, uh, put themselves in a position where they have to suffer so many major headaches unless they got something out of it? Unless they expect to get something out of uh, Al Jazeera. In the case of uh, uh, Bahrain, you know, for all the the criticism on the blogosphere about. Why Al Jazeera supported the Libyan rebels and it didn't support the the, the protesters in, in in Bahrain? That that may be a legitimate criticism. What people often do not know is that the extent to which the Bahraini government went in trying to prevent Al Jazeera from being there on, on, on the ground to, to cover the, the events in Bahrain does, to a, a, a large degree, explain why the coverage of Al Jazeera, in the eyes of its critics, was not adequate in, in, in Bahrain. You compare the, 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 that coverage with the coverage of Libya, yeah, sure, I mean, the, the coverage of Libya was much more extensive. But you have to remember that the Libyan rebels from day one had Benghazi under their control. And in Benghazi, we were, Al-Jazeera was welcomed with open arms, uh, not, not so the case with, with uh, Bahrain. You could argue...
1: You could have used more social... There's a lot of social right, media coverage right, coming out of Bahrain that right. you, you could have leveraged yes. much more. Yes. You,
2: you, you could argue that the government of Qatar itself came under pressure from Uh, the Saudis, for example, I I, I wouldn't be surprised one bit if they did. And you could also argue that the Qatari government uh, did have some reservations about the way uh, Al-Jazeera wanted to cover uh, events in, in, in Bahrain. It's very likely that those pressures did exist. I don't know exactly if those pressures did exist, how they translated in the relationship between Al Jazeera and the government of uh, uh, Qatar. Would, did somebody from the government uh, pick up the phone and, and talk to uh, Al Jazeera and say, do not cover it? That, in my experience, that's not the way they do they do uh, business. That's why they have the Board of Governors that acts as a buffer between the government and the, and the station. I, I think that the problem that a lot of people make the, the 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 assumption that a lot of uh, uh, people make, including people at Al Jazeera, is going around saying Al Jazeera is a 100% independent mm-hmm. television channel. Right, of course it's not. But, it, but it's not. There's no such thing as a 100% right. uh, independent uh, channel. But it is one of the most independent channels that the region has mm-hmm. has uh, has uh, certainly uh, had. Where does the coverage of Bahrain fit fit into that? I I I'm, I'm I'm not sure I can tell you with certainty the mechanics of why, uh, other than that the teams, uh, our teams were not given access to Bahrain, why the the coverage of Bahrain was so fundamentally different uh, from the coverage of uh, Libya. And if I may just add one more more thing, Um, because, you know, you get a lot of criticism about, you know, why did Jazeera cover Libya this way? Why did it cover Syria that way? I mean, if you look at what al-Qaddafi done, has done, if you look at what Bashar al-Assad has, has done, okay, fine, there are, f- there are certainly flaws in the coverage of al-Jazeera, no doubt about it. They've, they've always been flaws. But if you, if you put, the, put those flaws next to the things that al-Qaddafi or, or Bashar al-Assad or the, any of the other autocrats uh, have, uh, uh, have, have done o- over the years, and certainly in, in recent months, I mean, Hell, if you want to accuse me of, you know, siding with the rebels in in, in, in uh, covering events in Libya and Syria when hundreds, thousands of people are being slaughtered, fine. I mean, that's, uh, right. you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a price that Al Jazeera should be willing to pay in terms of its reputation.
1: But I think what, what you said uh, just now is, uh, earlier uh, in your, your comments is key, that, you know, you have to remember that the owners of any media outlet, outlet are, are have an agenda and are seeking to gain something
2: Absolutely, and
1: that it's important that the audience be cognizant of where the ownership of any media outlet is coming from and have options and alternatives. Absolutely. And, and I guess one of the interesting things now, I, I mean, Al Jazeera has been tremendously successful and very influential uh, in the region, but it's kind of hit a, a crossroads <coughs> where there's now a proliferation of media in um, at least parts of the middle east and and in egypt now there 's more independent television and more competitors and so on They also um, hit the arab spring yeah, itself yeah and and do do you think it's it 's good actually if if more competition both kind of at the national level and the regional level you know appears so that people maybe aren 't entirely dependent on whatever the uh, Al Jazeera's owners' kind of preferences are
2: absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think I think competition can only be good, um, if not for Al Jazeera, certainly for the public. Uh, this is a public that has been uh, dominated for the last 15 years by the narrative of uh, Al Jazeera and the prism of uh, Al Jazeera, which is which is which is fine, um, but I, I I think that. The, the more choices people have, uh, the more interesting their take on what's going on in, in their region becomes. But it's also, uh, competition is also good for, for Al Jazeera, because you know, one direct result uh, of lack of competition is obviously complacency. And when you become complacent, you begin to say well i, I, I don 't have to work hard for it I, I have I have the audience anyway why, why should I, uh, why should I bother mm-hmm. the, the problem is that so far we have not seen that kind of competition. Uh, you have al Arabiya, the other channel which is funded by the government of uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, which has its own audience, and Al Jazeera cannot compete with it uh, over its. That particular type of uh, audience, because they do a lot of a lot more infotainment than than uh, Al Jazeera does. But Al Arabiya cannot uh, either compete with uh, Al Jazeera uh, over its uh, uh, audience. We have seen some movement in in Egypt. We had seen some movement in Egypt even before the fall of uh, uh, Mubarak. There were certain times when uh, Egyptians just did not watch Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera could not compete with Egyptian television at, at, at certain times. But in times of big crisis, in times of war, whether you're talking about Gaza or Lebanon or anywhere else in, in the region, you get a mass exodus of viewership back to uh, Al-Jazeera.
1: So we're going to go to Q&A very shortly, so if people feel like lining up, I'm just going to ask you one question while people get, get assembled. Um, you very recently um, had a, a quite contentious interview with Donald Rumsfeld speaking of Al Jazeera's relationship with the last presidential administration, um, in which you you sort of challenged him really to apologize for the civilian casualties in Iraq. And he got quite upset that you did that and kind of accused you of being too contentious and said it was something about your nature, basically, that caused you to be contentious. Um, And uh, it it was a fascinating interview, but I, I, I thought, I felt that, you know, I mean, obviously, Al Jazeera's relationship has been with with Donald Rumsfeld in particular has has been rather complex, shall we say. Um, but um, I, it, it was also very interesting, just kind of in terms of the the clash of, of journalistic cultures. Yeah. That I, I, I think in the United States, you know, kind of officials expect that journalists are going to come on and be relatively respectful and not kind of. Challenge them too much, and you know, unless its a specific show where everybody expects it to be that way, um, and and it, it, of course, you know, you 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 are in a way kind of representing your audience. Yeah. who are very angry about civilian casualties. Yes. Um, and the civilian casualties in Iraq and Afghanistan, I mean, having been in the region recently myself, continue to be a huge issue for people. No, um, and and certainly, it seems to me, kind of from your perspective, had you not challenged him, you would have disappointed your audience tremendously. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm just wondering if you, you could comment on on this and, and in, in terms of the, the role and expectations. Um.
2: Sure, I mean, he, uh, after the interview, he conveyed his displeasure uh, about the, well, he, I mean, he conveyed his displeasure to me directly after the interview and during the interview. Yeah. But he also conveyed it uh, uh, through a friend of uh, his uh, who'd helped us get the interview uh, with him. So I, I wrote him a letter to Rumsfeld. Uh, after the interview, and I explained to him I said, "I, I realized that you felt that I dealt with you uh, disrespectfully. I begged to disagree i didn't, i didn 't find anything disrespectful that I said to you uh, during the interview, but i w- I would have been you know derelict in my in my duty as someone doing the, this interview for people in the Middle East not to have pressed you hard on certain issues." Uh, namely the issue of uh, uh, civilians in, uh, the killing of uh, civilians in, uh, in, uh, in Iraq. But look, th- th- there, were, there, were, there were two things. One is that uh, I, I, I was doing the interview for an, an Arab audience, essentially, although the interview ended up airing on uh, Al Jazeera English for a worldwide audience, too. The, the other thing was that I was trained... Uh, as you know, I, I'm a, I was originally the product of BBC. BBC. That's how I was. That's how I was trained to to conduct an interview, and uh, the the interviewing culture in 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 Europe generally, in, in Britain in, in particular, is it, it's it, it, it's much it's much more you know aggressive than it seems to be uh, here in the United States, at least over the last two or three decades, yeah. and. It's funny because after the interview when he expressed his displeasure to me and I went back and I watched the interview, there was one time when I kept asking him the same question three or four times and it it just took me back to a very funny interview that Jeremy Paxman uh, had done uh, with uh, a a government minister at that time in, in the UK when I was still living in the UK and he asked him exactly the same question 14 times and at the end, the, the minister said, "I'm sorry. What was the question again?" <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know there were there were many there were many uh, many different dynamics going on in in that interview. But I I also have to I also have to to say that what touched off that particular ethos really, uh, initially, was that. He. At one point, he told me, you, you can, you're going to have to learn how to listen. And that is one of the worst things that a politician could tell a journalist. You know, Because a journalist, we journalists, as you know, we don't think of ourselves as anybody's students. I mean, we've been around, we've, we've been in this job for, for, for a, a certain period of time, and all we're doing is asking questions on behalf of our audience. And for, some, for a politician to tell me and my audience that we have to learn and listen yeah. usually doesn't go down well. It's pretty patronizing yeah. sounding
1: to me. <laughs>
0: um,
1: so we'll go to questions, and we'll defer to Alex.
0: Um, just a quick one. Could you talk to us about the situation with Al Jazeera English getting on cable television in the United States, and what the impact of the uh, Arab Spring has been on that?
2: Well, I mean, it's been uh, it's been an uphill struggle, and I think it was expected uh, right from the outset that it was going to be an uphill struggle. Um, for those who don't know, just as a reminder, now uh, Jazeera English is on cable in uh, New York City. Uh, that, that's that's been the latest uh, station. Uh, it's on cable in the Washington D.C. area, and. Uh, it's on cable in Toledo, Ohio, and Vermont. And I, I think that's, that's the extent of it. Cambridge. So, I'm sorry? Cambridge Mass. And Cambridge, Cambridge Mass. <laughs> um, but the, the kind of uh, widespread uh, uh, cable uh, availability that you know, the, the channel continues to hope for, obviously it hasn't happened. When Egypt happened, Um, And a lot of attention was uh, focused on uh, the coverage of uh, Al-Jazeera English in in this country and how positive it was and how comprehensive it was and so on. Um, uh, Executives came from Doha, and I think at that time, Al-Jazeera English had received within one week of coverage something like 40,000 tweets of uh, uh, support. 10,000 emails of, uh, of support within one week. So they literally traveled around cable companies with, those, with hard copies of, of, of that support to convince people that it's high time they reconsidered their, their position. And some of them, some of the cable companies, you know, were convinced that, you know, th- we, we're close to a, a, a breakthrough, but others didn't seem particularly. Uh, uh, swayed by the, the the hard cop, the number of hard copies of uh, of uh, uh, support. Uh, the, the 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 consolation, uh, obviously, this is like slow release. But the consolation is that Egypt has changed the coverage of Egypt has changed the dynamics, and that now it's only a matter of time uh, before we get to that stage where more and more states. Uh, will pick up Al Jazeera English on, on cable. I hope that's not too much wishful thinking.
1: Just one quick note before we go to the next question. Uh, for those people watching on the webcast, I know there are a number out there. Um, if you do have questions that you want to pose through Twitter, just use the hashtag HSC25, and we'll see it on the screen there, and, and we can try and work those into the mix. Gentlemen here.
3: Great. I'm I'm Phil Balboni. I'm the uh, CEO and founder of Global Post. Uh, Alex actually asked the very question that I was going to ask, but I'll do a little follow-up and then I have another question. Uh, uh, Having started uh, a cable news network before uh, my current uh, uh, company, I know how hard it is to get on uh, cable in the United States, so please don't feel badly. It's a long, long process, and you may or may not ever actually uh, succeed. But maybe you've drawn some conclusions from this experience about what it says about, about American media and particularly television and the second part um, you reference the hundreds of millions of dollars that uh, the government of Qatar put into your network Um, i'd be interested um, if you could say a little bit more about the economics and how important you believe it is the scale of investment in your network how much that translates into the success you've been able to have out in the streets around the the arab world
2: Sure. i mean in, in terms of the success in in the arab world it, it's it's self evident that this is a channel that a lot of people feel is very close to their concerns and aspirations, and it Al it, Jazeera obviously looks at the world for its audience through a, a prism that they can ostensibly uh, relate to, um, but. There's also the fact that right from day one, Al Jazeera has been controversial, not just in the West, it was controversial in the Arab world as well. There were a lot of people who just did not li- like it, uh, either governments or people who are close to uh, governments in, in the region uh, who felt that the coverage of uh, Al Jazeera was uh, subversive.
3: Particularly during the Iraq war.
2: Particularly during the Iraq war. Um, in some way, the fact that it has been controversial has worked to sort of reinforce uh, its popularity among ordinary uh, ordinary Arabs. And if you travel uh, anywhere in the Arab world and you ask people what is Qatar most associated with in your mind, nobody says CENTCOM. Everybody says uh, Al Jazeera. So it's, it's a very, it's very, it's a, It's a very clever uh, equation, if you will, having CENTCOM and uh, Al Jazeera, but nobody associates Qatar with CENTCOM. Everybody associates it with uh, uh, Al Jazeera. My sense is that when it was launched, it was never launched as a business enterprise. It does not make money, uh, or if it does make money, it's not enough to actually support it. So the bulk of the money actually comes from the, 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 the pocket of uh, the Emir. It comes from the government of Qatar uh, uh, itself. And I, I think that's how they meant it to be. They meant it to be more of a political enterprise than a business enterprise. They meant it as uh, uh, something to generate prestige and political clout for them as a country and as a government. And it has done that. I mean, if you look at the the the, the various crises that Government that Qatar now mediates in or has mediated it, it, it 's quite impressive when the Lebanese uh, fight among each other, they go to Doha to negotiate when the Sudanese fight among each other, they go to Doha to uh, negotiate and the recent wave of revolutions in, in, in the Arab world uh, you mentioned uh, Libya for example, uh, again you know, that has certainly consolidated uh, the clout that the, the, the Qatar is uh, 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 have have garnered over the last 15 years. A a billion dollars, $2 billion, that's really a a small change in terms of the political prestige that it has got for them. I attended a dinner uh, where the US ambassador to Qatar uh, spoke uh, a few months ago. And he was talking about how measuring the power of a country has changed uh, uh, nowadays. And he gave the two examples of Qatar and Egypt, huge country, 80 million people and yet you have a small country like Qatar not even 1 million people um, which in some cases uh, actually has a bigger political clout than uh, Egypt uh, does so they're lucky that they have uh, obviously uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, gas but it's not just gas there's also a lot of vision that they have uh, uh, invested in and i think their original vision of Establishing a channel to get them political clout has been tremendously successful. Thank you. OK, gentlemen here.
4: Yes, I'm Richard Sobel. I was a fellow in 96. And I've taught a course at the Medill School on the press, the Pentagon, and the public. And some colleagues and I have just done a book on public opinion about the Iraq War, not just in the United States, but <coughs> across Europe, and including um, cases from the Arab world and uh, the Indian subcontinent to try to see how the publics affect the decision to join the coalition the willing or not to join. So I'm interested in both sides. Th- this has been a fascinating discussion, but largely about how um, Al Jazeera is communicating or helping to communicate within the Arab world. There's been a little bit of allusion to how it's seen and how it tries to communicate to the United States or to Europe. So I'd like to ask you more about that strategy. How does that play into an approach? And I think that most of the American public and many of the political leaders to the extent that they know would see Al Jazeera really as presenting a perspective, distorted perspective, for instance, about the Palestinians or about Al-Qaeda. So how do you see the American Exposition on Al Jazeera. Sure,
2: uh, the, you know the, the, we're talking about the, the trials and tribulations of putting Jazeera English on cable in, in this country, and you know part of the, the problem, and it's not an insignificant part of the problem in my eyes, is the Bin Laden tapes that had aired on the Arabic channel, and as you said, it's just given this perception t- uh, to a lot of Americans, to a lot of people in the West generally that uh, Al-Jazeera is uh, and was the mouthpiece of uh, Osama bin Laden and and, uh, Al-Qaeda. In the Arab world, Al-Jazeera was seen seen differently. Um, A lot of people, especially in the initial stages uh, of it and when the decision was made to start hosting uh, Israeli officials to directly uh, appear on uh, Al-Jazeera, a lot of people thought that Al-Jazeera was uh, a front for the CIA. So, you know, the the, the, the issue of the, the the perception is obviously a, a, a very important one. You know, I consider myself very fortunate in the sense that I was born and raised in that part of the world, but I've also uh, spent a good chunk of my life first in Europe and then uh, more recently in in the United States so it, it 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 that puts me in a position where i can it puts me in a in, in a better position to try and grapple with the issue of how perceptions uh, uh, the perceptions of the two worlds are different and where they 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 interconnect or or not i i don't think that you know running a pr campaign uh, in the us uh, you know over the issue of why we add uh, Osama bin Laden, I, I, I don't necessarily think that that's going to, uh, first, it's not going to convince a lot of Americans, and secondly, I don't think it's, it's, it's going to necessarily help put uh, Al Jazeera on, on, on cable. But I have to say this, one of the things that, first of all, I don't agree, I never agreed with the notion of putting uh, a half hour long tape of Osama bin Laden on Al Jazeera, and I never agreed with the idea of putting a half hour speech by President Bush on Al Jazeera. It, it just—it never made sense to me. But having said that, these, are, these were two different narratives at that time. And we were talking about you know, information control. I don't see the point of actually trying to prevent people from hearing different narratives whether you're talking about Afghanistan or, 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 or Iraq or uh, any, uh, any, other, uh, any other issue. So to the extent that you give uh, uh, people in, in the Arab world an idea of what Osama bin Laden was actually trying to say, in a way you contribute, despite what the critics may say, to demystifying the man. He, he, he stopped being a mystery. And I think what happened in Egypt and, and Tunisia, revolutions led by young people who were just sick and tired of that kind of narrative that they were exposed to, I think is the ultimate confirmation that, de- that the, the demystifying strategy was a good uh, strategy. I just want to say one quick thing that uh, we, we talked about before, before the, the panel. When people in the Arab world and in the West talk about Al-Jazeera, they talk about uh, Al-Jazeera as if it's, it's, it's a separate development from anything else that happened uh, before it. And my argument is that without CNN, without CNN, we may not have had Al-Jazeera. Mm-hmm. And why do I say that? I say that because CNN, uh, during the war to liberate Kuwait, shaped the war narrative at that time. Saddam, CNN was the only international broadcaster allowed by Saddam to continue to broadcast from inside uh, Iraq. And that helped uh, shape the narrative. I remember a commercial on CNN International uh, at that time in which Mubarak, uh, whether he meant it or he was being facetious, but he said it. He said, I learned about the outbreak to liberate Kuwait, not on, through the conventional channels, but on CNN. And I think those things made a lot of Arabs think, if CNN can do it, why can't we do it? And I think that's the deep background to uh, the, 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 the creation of uh, uh, Al Jazeera.
1: We're okay. running short on time. We did have a couple questions from the Twitter sphere, so I'm going to insert them, and uh, we'll see what else we can do. Um, it just, just quickly, uh, one qu- I'll just give the two questions together, and, and maybe you can just kind of address them together. One question is just how, how much difference is there between the Arabic and English language content on Al Jazeera? And the second question is uh, that Al Jazeera has been defined, at least in the West, by its coverage of crises. That's that's, yeah. what we, that's when we've come to turn to Al, Al Jazeera. Going forward, what will Al Jazeera do in times of peace? Which I, I think really speaks to this question of what, what role does, does Al Jazeera play as... Uh, Countries like Tunisia and Egypt are actually trying to build new political systems.
2: Yeah, Yeah. You know, I I don't think there's any danger that Al Jazeera would be out of work anytime soon, because if you look at what's happening in the region, the so-called Arab Spring, I think the so-called Arab Spring, its trials and tribulations, ups and downs, are going to be with us for some time. And when I say some time, I'm talking about the next 10 to 20 years, possibly. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I don't see uh, Al-Jazeera being put out of uh, business, although I do see the, 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 the possibility of more competition for uh, Al-Jazeera, more serious competition for Al-Jazeera in, in, the, in the region. Um, in terms of the difference between the Arabic Channel and the, the English Channel, there are some fundamental – there are some overlaps, but there are also some fundamental differences And those fundamental differences are obviously mostly dictated by the respective audiences. One has a global audience, uh, one has a a mostly Arabic speaking uh, audience. The Arabic speaking uh, channel knows where its uh, audience is. It's very easy to give uh, its coverage a specific identity. The uh, English channel has you know so many different, it covers so many different time zones and so many different cultures, so many different languages, uh, and therefore it, it 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 has been harder to give itself a a specific identity. Although that's that's beginning that's beginning to happen, but I would say that the fundamental difference is obviously the kind of audience that each channel caters to.
1: Quick follow up too. I mean, this has been I think um, up until our our conversation, a fairly American-centric day, you know, talking about the future of journalism from an American perspective. Um, Is the future, you know, if if we're kind of looking out at the world and where the future of journalism and the future, you know, kind of where the leading edge is that we can see, you know, this is where we're starting to see the future or this is where, kind of, the world of global journalism is, is heading, where, where are you seeing that? Are, are you seeing it in the United States or, or in Western Europe, or, or are you seeing it out elsewhere? And what can you say, just based on your experience, about kind of what the non-West and, and what media trends in the developing world, in the Middle East, in Africa, might teach us about where media is going globally?
2: Well, let me, let me, let me talk about power before I, I, I talk about that. I mean, I've been in the United States for ten years now. I arrived in the United States about two years before 9-11 and then I've been here since uh, 9-11. So I was able to see two different faces of uh, America, if you will, before 9-11 and after 9-11. And, you know, with all the, the this stuff, the, the the financial meltdown and the financial crisis and uh, all those things, I, I, I think about just like a a lot of uh, other people, I think about the future of U.S. power. And when I look at it through the prism of what's going on now, the financial crisis and so on and and so forth, there's one rationale which says that uh, uh, U.S. power will be increasingly uh, defined by forces outside of uh, the United States, the Chinese, the Brazilians, the Indians, possibly the Arabs, if the Arab Spring turns out to be a success. I'm not sure if, if it's going to be a success yet or, or, or not. Um, but there's another, there's another uh, logic, if you will, and that's the logic of uh, uh, Admiral Mullen, uh, who was asked a question about how he feels about the, U- the, the future of U.S. power and should countries in the Middle East uh, continue to uh, depend on uh, U.S. power Uh, well into the future and he said, I realize that this country has problems um, but but if if anybody doubts the ability of this country to recover they will doubt it at their own risk. So if you look at it through the prism of the first logic, I see the media being, uh, uh, the future of the media being defined no longer by the the United States and the media in the United States. The the main rationale behind creating Al-Jazeera English was to sort of try and reverse the flow of information. Uh, You had it coming from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere and and Al-Jazeera, and I hope that doesn't sound too pretentious. One of the goals of Al-Jazeera English is to actually reverse that flow and have information flowing from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere. But to the extent that... The, 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 the future of u s power is is guaranteed um, over the next fifty to hundred years. I think the u s media have, as we all know, have had this incredible ability to define the narrative and they will continue to to, to do it, provided that u s power continues. Uh, uh, provided that the United States continues to be the powerful country that it has been so far,
1: but uh, U.S. media may perhaps have to get used to sharing the narrative-defining space with more
3: actors.
2: I yeah, I mean, in, in a country like in a in a region like the, the the Middle East, I mean, we're already seeing signs of that. It's it's now it's the Arab media that are defining the narrative more than you know the American or or the the, the, the European media. But having said that, uh, I, I, we, sh- we should not um, uh, uh, overlook the, the power of the U.S. media. I mean, we've seen this recently with the issue of uh, the, the, uh, the, the assassination, uh, the alleged assassination plot with the Iranians. We've seen in, 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 in this country, obviously, the prism has been defined by the U.S. media. And to the extent that there are alliances with the United States in the Middle East, for example, in the Gulf, uh, the U.S. media will be able to um, uh, sort of extend uh, that, that, that prison through which to see what the Iranians are, are accused of having tried to do uh, in the eyes of Arabs in that part of the world.
1: Well, on that provocative note, I'm afraid we are out of time, unfortunately. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Thank you.